Appreciate him. Thank you. Uh, Hey, it is great to be here with you, uh, and just again, a happy Mother's Day to all of you. And as we're here on Mother's Day, and we dig into uh, just our passage for this series in Galatians called The Gospel of Freedom, uh, I'm excited for us to talk about uh, this whole thing and and, and kind of the the whole way we're looking into it it is this title of Unity, Not Uniformity. That we want to be a people who are united, but that doesn't mean that we're all the same, okay? And now, that's really uh, applicable and, and similar to moms. Like, I don't know if you've just seen even like kind of crazy videos out there that show different types of moms. Most of them aren't safe for church, so we're not showing them. But I'm just uh, going to just talk through some of them here. Because one thing I think is cool is you have all these different types of moms and all these different opinions about how mothering or parenting should be done. And a lot of time, instead of celebrating our diversity, we tend to critique or hate on or put down the moms who do things differently than the way that we think that, you know, that should be lived out. And so what I would hope for is that we could could see all of those differences, and there's, there are all of these uh, incredible differences, and some of them are kind of funny even, but let's laugh and enjoy them, but at the same time see the heart that's in them. Because I think that for all of us, I think the lesson that can be learned is to celebrate the heart of the person that's different than us in some way. As we think about this, Galatians 2, if you want to even get your notes out, get your Bible out, Galatians 2, as we talk through some of these different kinds of moms. The first is the over-sharer. This is the mom that can be a wealth of information, but you're going to learn more about poop, privates, and personal issues than you've ever really wanted to know in your entire life. So let's think about that over-sharer and see the heart of her loving to talk about every aspect of her kids. Uh, Let's think about the health nut mom. The health nut mom has the amber necklaces, essential oils, the organic, gluten-free everything. And she's great until she judges you for your your snacks that are full of GMOs, right? But let's see the heart of a mom who loves what is healthy and good for her kids. Then you've got the bragger. The bragger mom is the one that is going to tell you how her kid is just surpassing every milestone, reaching them earlier than your kid ever could reach those milestones. And let's, you know, appreciate though and see the heart of genuine pride for her kids that the bragger mom has. You've got the know-it-all mom. The know-it-all mom is the walking, living Wikipedia encyclopedia of all facts of motherhood. She will also then give you every parenting tip you've never wanted to hear. And so there's the know-it-all mom who knows everything, but let's see her heart of just like knowledge is power for raising her kids well. Then you've got the laid-back mom. The laid-back mom is the mom that on the playground is not judging you, you know, for what you're doing and how you're raising your kids. But she also doesn't realize that her toddler is on the roof about to jump off the building. Uh, (laughs) Let's see her heart of trust in God. I'm not sure, but, you know, let's see the the, uh, laid-back mom's heart. Then you've got the product pusher, okay? The product pusher mom has every top-notch name brand of every single thing and will tell you why it is the only item that you should have when you are thinking about what to get for your parenting techniques. And also watch the invitations carefully because she might be trying to sell you something. All right, that's the product pusher mom. But let's see a heart of provision, of someone wanting to provide well 
for her kids. Then finally, you have the hot mess mom. This is the mom who is covered in spit-up stains and coffee and leaves a trail of toys and Cheerios, you know, behind her as she approaches late to everything she goes to. But, you know, she, she has high hopes of kale juice and butternut squash soup, but ends up with McDonald's and a big gulp, right? So let's see the heart of Melissa Broch here. All right, now, let's... Uh, <laughs> Which is so bad because she's actually teaching my parents a teens class right now. Uh, <laughs> she'll hear it next service or maybe between services. Uh, <laughs> uh, no, it's all good. She's self-admitted. Okay, uh, as followers, <laughs> so as we get into this, you know, this is just like, as we, I just say in all this, as followers of Jesus, we do. We seek unity, not uniformity. And in all these differences, like we joke around with moms, that let's see the heart of these people, the heart of people who, you know— want to do things in this way that, that God has called them or gifted them to do things. Let's see the heart of our brothers and sisters in Christ that might do things differently or have different opinions than we have. Because we're going to look at a story here in Galatians 2 where you have people who disagree and they disagree strongly, but we're going to see a group of people who come together really well. And so I want to learn from them. So let's just read now Galatians 2, 1 through 9. All right, here we go. Uh, you've got Paul last week, you know, we, we'd seen a, a lot of the early parts of his story and the beginnings of his ministry. And then it says in 2.1, Then after an interval of 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas, taking Titus along also. So these guys are Barnabas, Paul, Titus. Their mission is to reach the Gentiles. When we talk here, you're going to hear this verse say Gentiles. You'll hear it say the uncircumcised. This is just basically means people who are not Jewish, okay? Then it's going to talk about circumcised people, and that just means Jewish people, okay? So here we go. Verse 2. It was because of a revelation, so God speaking to him, that I went up to Jerusalem, and I submitted to them the gospel which I preach among the Gentiles. But I did so in private to those who are of reputation, for fear that I might be running or had run in vain. But not even Titus, who was with me, though he was a Greek, was compelled to be circumcised. But it was because of the false brethren, secretly brought in, who had sneaked in to spy out our liberty, which we have in Christ Jesus, in order to bring us into bondage. But we did not yield in subjection to them for even an hour, so that the truth of the gospel would remain with you." That's all of what we've been talking about in these past few weeks, where these people have come in to say, no, you have to have works. You have to follow the Jewish traditions, including circumcision and all of that, to be able to be saved. And so these are these false brethren. All right, now verse 6. But from those who were of high reputation, what they were makes no difference to me. God shows no partiality. Well, those who were of reputation contributed nothing to me. But on the contrary, seeing that I had been entrusted with the gospel to the uncircumcised, just as Peter had been to the circumcised, for he, God, the Holy Spirit, okay, for he who effectually worked for Peter in his apostleship to the circumcised, effectually worked for me also to the Gentiles. And recognizing the grace that had been given to me, James and Cephas, Peter, and John, who were reputed to be pillars— gave to me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship so that we might go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. 
Okay, we'll read that far for now. Okay, so you've got this whole story of Paul, right, reaching out to the Gentiles, Peter to the Jews. They've got their different missions. And there's this whole argument that we've been talking about of do you need to also have works to be saved? And so they go into this big huge, you know, discussion, argument. There's councils, there's meetings. Uh, We've talked about that. But all of that, where we want to learn here, though, that biblical unity does not mean we agree on everything. In fact, we need to be able to disagree on things and to disagree well. Now, there are some things that we are willing to go all the way in disagreement, even to the point of breaking fellowship. And so we're going to talk through that, okay? We're going to get there. We're kind of going to build through this passage and get there as we move uh, through the course of it. But you think about, you know, as we're doing this, it might be sort of easy for us here today, 2017, to think, you know, what in the world? Like, why would they think that you have to still follow these Jewish traditions and the law and circumcision and temple sacrifice, whatever that, uh, those other things would be, you know, kosher eating, dietary laws, all of that. Why would they still think that you have to do that? But you have to recognize for some of the, for Peter, for James, John, these others, they have been part of a tradition that has been the same for about 1,500 years, right? And so when you have traditions and customs that have been lasting that long for centuries, it is hard to change. It's hard for people. Change is hard for people. Change is hard for us when we have traditions that we've had for 50 years, let alone over 1,000, right? And so you've got all of this where it is hard for people to change. And I think we all can recognize that, hopefully even in our own lives, where it's hard to change. And it's, you know, similar even just to this whole, this whole mommy wars thing that we were talking about of different types of moms, you know, where you've just got all of this, like, disagreement and, like, this is the way you're supposed to do it. This is the way I've always done it. Why are you doing it that way? And so you, you think through along those lines. And so what we learn, I think, in the course of this passage are some things and ways that we can disagree well. And one is that we must act respectfully to those we disagree with. You can see that in verse 2 here where he goes in private. And he goes in private to these of reputation. And he goes to them, not because he's—it talks about being afraid that he'd done all this in vain. It is not because he's afraid of them or because he's afraid of that they'll even disagree with him, I don't think. I think he's afraid that if this whole false gospel of works-based salvation continues— All of the work that he's already done and all of his missionary journeys and churches that he's established and people that he's reached for Jesus Christ, all of that will just like be ruined by this false gospel, right? That these people will be led astray to going into thinking that you actually need to add works to all of this. And, you know, and so he goes in private. He goes respectfully to these leaders. And uh, he doesn't just you know, shout it out from the rooftops, even though we're going to see over the course of this series, he does get a little more heated uh, as we go along, even to next week. But, um, you know, I, I want us to think about this, like when we disagree, not if, we will disagree with each other. We will disagree within the church. And I think that at some level, this sort of Facebook generation, which you know, my dad in his 80s is part of the Facebook generation. He Facebooks more than pretty much every, 
anyone I know, you know? And, and so this is not like a young people thing of social media. This is a everybody thing that the Facebook generation has forgotten, really, like how to disagree well, how to have healthy, good civil discourse, discussing issues, recognizing what issues we should break fellowship over and what issues, you know, that we should just be able to, you know, have an awesome, good argument in the sense of like a great discussion about something and then not have to, you know, just hate each other because of it. Because what you see, whether it's, doesn't matter, like any perspective on the political spectrum or anything, you'll see somebody say something and then the other person's like, you're a moron, idiot. How could you ever think that? You must be stupid, right? And it's just, it's like that kind of attack is what comes out so quickly, no matter what it is. And so we want to make sure that we're checking how we disagree and that we're able to disagree well. But we also recognize um, okay, again, we're just building here a little bit. I'm going to get more into this at the end. But that the true gospel, okay, what the gospel of Jesus Christ is and what it's all about and what it isn't in the sense of works here, that is what must be agreed upon and fought for most vigorously. Like, look, at, look again into this text. Look at some of the, the words in 4 and 5 that Paul uses, okay? It says, you know, false brethren who sneaked in, they secretly came in, right, to spy out our freedom, our liberty, um, and then it says, uh, in order to bring us into bondage, but we did not yield in subjection to them for even an hour, right? It's just strong language that Paul brings that this thing was so important that he was going to call out that thing with strength and vigor, even though he also kind of then you'll see how he recognizes the importance of the mission of what Peter's doing and, and all of that. And so uh, that true gospel, and we'll talk about this more, is what must be agreed upon. Okay, that's one of the things that is most important. Now, what I want to like take a step here and think about is this, this whole notion of motives. Because in verse 6, he, this is the part where he says, hey, like, I don't care if they're important people or if they're, you know, they have high reputation or whatever. God shows no partiality. And so Paul's just saying, like, look, it shouldn't matter who they are. And so our, I want us to check our motives that we don't ever just believe something or argue for something because we're either trying to impress someone or maybe someone that uh, seems like they should be an authority is actually saying something that's a false gospel. You might see a lot of this on television when it comes to Christianity, okay? That we see a lot of these things where they could look important or have an important platform. We don't just lift those people up, right? But we also have to, when we think about motives, we have to check our own personal preferences, Okay, so when we come into, when we're going to disagree with something, if we're going to come in and, and we're going to really go for it, all right, we're going to argue about something that we think is really important, we need to check ourselves. And I would say that the first filter that we apply is that we apply something that we would just say, does whatever this is further the gospel mission of Jesus Christ? Right? The gospel is our first and primary filter, that whatever we're going to think about, is that we will think something and we will say, what will help the gospel of Jesus Christ be proclaimed and made known and see lives transformed for him? That's our primary filter. And we got to let that sink in before we allow our personal preferences or the people we're trying to impress creep in to do that. Now, I think in the church, in churches, and I mean, it's been sort of a classic thing, is, uh, and it's kind of interesting because we're talking a lot about music in our church these days. And, you know, music in church is probably one of those things that people tend to argue about 
or express opinion about most in the church. I've even talked to like worship pastors where I'm like, I don't want your job. Your job is the one, is the one job that everybody has an opinion about. And they're all different and they all disagree with whatever yours is. You know, and so it's like this crazy thing. And, and so when it comes to music in church, though, you want to say, okay, what really matters? What matters? What matters again? Let's put that through the filter of the gospel of Jesus Christ being proclaimed. And so well, whatever style of music or whatever person leading music or whatever volume the music is, is that leading towards people who don't know Jesus coming to know Jesus more, right? Is that leading to God being glorified and proclaimed? Like all of that. And so to say, all right, I have, and and I'll tell you, I have personal preferences. I have some really strong personal preferences of what I like. And I have to say, Lord, for our vision of our church, for us to be better together and to love like Jesus across all cultures and generations, I lay down my preference so that for the greater good of seeing the gospel made known to people and more people coming to know Jesus. So do we put everything through that filter. Let that be our first, let that be our, our primary soul filter of what is essential. And so I just, you know, as a pastor, and kind of like from a pastor's heart, I just really beg you as, as men and women of Calvary Church to let that be what drives you, okay? Let that be what drives you. Not what you prefer, not what you want to, how you want to impress somebody or to have even kind of like a group think sort of mentality of, well, we all like this. And it could be not just music, it's anything, right? But let that drive what we do so that we would see people welcomed into this family and to see people reached for the gospel of Jesus. All right, we move on. So motives. Now, here's the next thing. This next thing I think is really cool. Like this is all about calling. Because I think when we, we can all, we're all different, right? It's like the mom's thing. And it's like when we come to this, we're all super different people. And we all have really different callings with our life and what our lives are about. But when we know our calling and we know our calling well, that allows us to be different while still being unified, right? That, that you know what your life's purpose is about, and then when someone else's like, life purpose is about something different, you can celebrate the way that theirs is different, and they could celebrate the way that yours is. And that's what we see in verses 7 and 9. We see with Paul and Peter, where Peter's like, hey, Peter's mission in life is to reach these Jewish people to become believers in Jesus as Messiah. Mine is to go reach these Gentiles all over the place. He could have said, you know what, there's a lot more Gentiles in the world than there are Jews, specifically since Gentiles is everybody that's not Jewish, right? So hey, my, my calling is so much better. Peter, your, yours is a weak calling. You know, mine is what is most important. But he doesn't do that, you know? He says, hey, the Holy Spirit's working in your calling. The Holy Spirit's working in my calling. And so for us to recognize that, when we can kind of like have a good sense of what our calling is, we are then able to live our lives of purpose well and then be different while still having unity. You know what I'm saying with that? And so what I want for you— and. and Hopefully you've got your, your bulletin, the notes, and all that. If you look at this part, it just talks about where you can write it down. To write it down. To think about this right now. I just want to give you a moment even to think here. What is your calling? I'm not talking about some crazy, like, specific will of God in, you know, specifically in your life kind of thing. Like, within that general will of God, the way that God has created you, your gifts, your passions, what is your calling? 
what is your life supposed to be about? Think about that. And think about if you're able to answer that question. It might be hard. It very well could be hard. Maybe even jot it down there. Think about your calling. You know, as you're thinking about that, it's interesting. I'm, I'm part of these, uh, this ministry uh, that does uh, church planter assessments. I've talked about this before, where we help people that want to plant a church, and we help assess like, whether that is a good idea for them in their life or not. Because planting a church, starting a new church, is one of the most difficult things in the world. It is very discouraging. It, you have a lot of failure in it. Um, there's a lot of people critiquing you in it. And it is very easy in the midst of trying to start a church to get so discouraged that you just throw in the towel and give up. Okay? And so what, one of the biggest things, even though we assess their, their leadership and their teaching and different things like that, but one of the biggest, most important things, actually, that we assess is their calling. Like, do they really have a sense that God has called them to do this? Because if they have a sense of their calling in it, then when the discouragement or the critique comes, they're able to continue and, like, press on and keep going because God has called me to do this, right? And so that's, like, similarly where I want you to have that sense that, okay, my life is to be about this in the way that Paul's calling was, Peter's calling was. I want to know what my life is supposed to be about. And then I can keep going even when people kind of get me down in it. And what's amazing is we have, you know, you saw in the announcements video at the beginning, but we have starting this Wednesday night— and this class was planned like several months ago, and they just happened to be talking about this this week, you know, and they all kind of lined up where the class that's being offered this Wednesday night is called Discover Your Purpose. And I, I, I want to highlight this so much right here because I think this class is one of the best things that we do at Calvary Church that hardly anybody ever goes to. And so I want to say, go to it. It's so good. I don't know what you're doing, okay? And so you come to this class, and what you do is you really go through this whole process of discovering and sometimes like confirming or, or rediscovering how God has made you, like what your spiritual gifts are, what you like really care about, your passions, what you, you think through like skills and abilities and your personality and experiences. And then you kind of bring all of that into this picture of how God has made you and what he has then called you to do out of that. And so anything that you do, any sort of ministry that you get involved in, it comes out of how God has made you. And then you're going to thrive. Then you're going to flourish. You're not going to be frustrated. And then you keep going even when you get bored or when you get down or when people look down on you for it. So I want to encourage you, like, come to this. This is how you can do it. Because what you don't want to do is have what we call a ministry mismatch, okay? A ministry mismatch is John Sherman, who we all love so much. He's an incredible, incredible legend of our church. But if he goes into the nursery and tries to get them to play basketball and learn the fundamentals when they're six months old, it's not going to work, okay? That's a ministry mismatch. If you take Matt Doan and you put him on this stage or you have him write music, he actually has written music. And I actually know one of his songs. I'm going to sing it for you, okay? This is a song Matt Doan has written. This would be a ministry mismatch. He goes like this. He goes, he goes, <laughs> he goes, 
And he knows this is like all, this is all love, okay? He goes, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life, who am I? That's Matt Doan's song. So I want you guys to sing it to him, okay? So next time you sing him, sing that song. I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life, who am I? He'll love it, I promise. Okay, so that's a ministry mismatch. Paula Garcia trying to put Cheerios in 17-year-old high schoolers' mouths is weird. She's our nursery coordinator, and that's great, but we don't want that. Then you've got Ron Rogalski. Ron Rogalski, if he, wait. Exactly! What can he do? I'm stumped. Ron Rogalski can do anything. Okay, that's the thing. Ron Rogalski is a legend. He can do anything. Uh, we actually call him, if you don't know this, we call him Robotronsky because he's just like a machine that can accomplish anything in this life. So, yeah, this, this whole thing just fell apart once I got to Ron. But, you know, that, <laughs> no, it is, uh, but we don't want to have that ministry mismatch. We want to be serving in our area of calling, and then that helps us to live that out well, and we don't become a critic if someone else doesn't live out the calling that we have or have the same gifts that we have. We don't want to act like someone else should have the gifts that we have, right? A lot of churches, most pastors, are gift, their gifts are in areas of teaching and leadership, and so you'll get pastors that come up and they talk a lot about teaching and leadership. But if we were to have a church of all people that just had the gifts of teaching and leadership, that would be a pretty ugly church with a lot of people talking and nobody listening and no evangelists or mercy, you know, hospitality and evangelism, all these other gifts that we want to see lived out. So we don't want to put this sort of gift projection or putting like on others the sense that they should have our gifts or, or even like a ministry narcissism that would say, the ministry I do is the best ministry, right? Like that whole thing of like, to Gentiles or, or, or Jews, whoever I'm called to reach. We want to value all in that. Uh, and then we're going to see, I think, just such greater unity. Now, oops, uh, this passage, what's crazy in it is, if you look in your Bible again, Galatians 2, we read 1 through 9, right? As we read 1 through 9, you've got this giant discussion and argument over all of these like really lofty weighty things of works-based salvation and who you're called to reach and what we should do and they vigorously argue over it and then they actually come to this point of agreement right the right hand of fellowship was extended this council decides you can read about it in the book of acts that hey yes um you're right we should not be adding circumcision to what what like you need for salvation and so then they agree on that, all that's done, and then they come back in verse 10, they say, they only asked us to remember the poor, the very thing I also was eager to do. It feels sort of like this, kind of like almost random thrown in little verse in the midst of the kind of discussions they're having. But what's so interesting here is they're having all of that discussion, and then that is the thing they add in. They only asked us to remember the poor. So there's two hills that Peter, James, John, uh, Paul, all of these people, there's two hills that they would die on, they say here. Here's the two things we want to make sure you remember. The gospel of Jesus and caring for the poor, right? These are these things that matter in their mind, at least in this passage, most. So they're saying, hey, you gotta, you gotta care about the gospel of Jesus. You have to get that down. But also, you know, remember the poor. Like, oh yeah, yeah, we, we totally were, we're, we're totally trying to do that too, you know? And that's where they're at with it. And when it comes to remembering the poor in this passage, there's a specific and a general that I want us to a look at, a way of looking at this. The specific was, the poor really that they're talking about here specifically were the poor Jewish 
followers of Jesus in Jerusalem. All right, talks about this story in Romans 15, 25 to 28, where really what, what Paul was doing is he's going around and uh, to different churches or establishing different churches in Asia Minor and Greece and all that, and then they would send money back to Jerusalem to help care for these Jewish followers of Jesus because they were poor, but they're poor because they're also ostracized by their family. They've lost all of their support systems. They might have even lost their livelihood just for being a follower of Jesus, believing that he's the Messiah. And so they want to care for them. They want to care for those poor saints in Jerusalem. All right, so that's the specific. Now there's a general in the sense that the scriptures have an overarching narrative of caring for those in need is a heart that we should have, right? There's a heart that we should have of caring for the poor, remembering them. It's throughout the scriptures in so many ways. And, and what that is, is something that Dave has talked about. I love this, this phrase, is uh, there's a temporary practice, but a timeless principle, right? So the temporary practice was for them to care for the, saint, the poor Jewish saints in Jerusalem. The timeless principle is that caring for the poor, or remembering the poor, and maybe here, especially those who are being persecuted for their faith in some way, or because of their faith have lost their livelihood in some way, that is especially important, right? We want to make sure that we are caring for them. A couple passages that show us some of this. You got 1 Corinthians 15, 3. I delivered to you, Paul says, I delivered to you as of first importance, okay? First importance. And then he goes on to share the beautiful passage of the gospel in 1 Corinthians 15 of the life, death, and resurrection and appearance of Jesus Christ to so many, right? That the gospel is of first number one importance. The gospel of Jesus. That's what matters most. Now we also see in Matthew 23, 23, where Jesus is talking to the Pharisees and they've got all these great outward expressions of their faith that they think they're so wonderful. And Jesus says, you've forgotten the weightier matters of the law. And he says, those weightier matters, what are those things that are weightier? Justice, mercy, faithfulness. Okay? So this heart of mercy, compassion, and the sense of justice and faithfulness. All that is what those weightier matters of the law. And it actually kind of reminds me of when Jesus said the first and greatest commandments, right? The first and second greatest commandments. To love the Lord your God and to love your neighbor as yourself. Okay? That's kind of what we have going on here. Love God. Love your neighbor. That's what Jesus is emphasizing. And so I just think it's pretty interesting and significant that in the midst of this crazy discussion about all that important, seeming like kind of lofty stuff that then they just go like, oh yeah, and remember the poor, right? Oh yeah, we got you. We'll remember the poor. You know, we were already going to do that. I think it's pretty cool. Now, um, I want to just now conclude and talk through as we close a little bit more about some specifics of what does this look like? How does this play out? There's uh, a great phrase that says, uh, or a quote, says, in essentials unity, in non-essentials liberty, in all things charity. Okay? So when we think about disagreeing or we think about, you know, our diversity as people and all of our diverse opinions and beliefs and things that we do, whatever that is, we, in those things that are essential, we have unity. In this quote, I would say in the way we're talking about it today, we even have uniformity, okay, in those essentials for salvation. In non-essentials, yeah, we have, we have liberty, we have freedom. We still want to have unity together as a body of believers, but in all things charity. And so we love and care for each other, even if we disagree about how we should 
you know, deal with the environment or something, you know? And it's just like, I'm not going to write you off as an idiot because you think something different than what I think, right? Like, I, you know, just when it comes to these sorts of things, like in all things, charity. And so there's this great uh, pyramid of unity and diversity that Pastor Dave actually came up with and then uh, put together here. I if you can see that. Um, but... Uh, and you can see it on the little TV too. Okay, and on the side screens. <laughs> it's everywhere. Uh, <laughs> but um, what this is, is foundational, supplemental, incidental. Okay, so I want us to see this, and I want us to really get it. Now, this is how we can have a good sense of what things should we disagree on. Now, the examples here are in no way exhaustive, okay? We are not covering everything here. But foundational. These are things that we would defend to the point of breaking fellowship, okay? That is how strongly we think about these things. This, that is how far we'll take it. So these are items like the deity of Christ, okay? The authority of Scripture, that we would go to the Scriptures for all things in the ways that we would live or how we should uh, know God and believe things about God, right? The authority of Scripture. Means of salvation, all right? How is one saved? What is that? Do we need to also be baptized? Do we need to, you know, take communion? Like, what do we, you know, how, how is one saved? So that is uh, a foundational issue. Something like the Trinity, that we believe in one God in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. These are foundational issues. Then we get to things that are supplemental issues. Now here, this is the greatest area of tension, okay? Supplemental. Because it's probably going to be something that you feel strongly about, but it's also something that it's okay if someone disagrees with you about, all right? But you're not going to like it. <laughs> all right, so supplemental, things that we would vigorously discuss, okay? We really get into it, but we should not divide over these things, okay? We should not break fellowship over these things. So let's say views on the rapture, right? Do you think it's there's no rapture, it's pre-trib, mid-trib, post-trib, whatever your view on the actual rapture itself. That is not an issue that is foundational, that is something that is supplemental. It is worthwhile having a strong opinion and getting into it, okay? But we don't divide over it. Uh, women being called pastors, all right? That would be something we would say is a supplemental. It is not something that we would break fellowship over, especially as you kind of study and get into the scriptures of what does even the word pastor mean, and it, it's the same word as shepherd, like an actual shepherd, right? Like an actual with sheep, shepherd. And it's only translated as pastor once in the, in the New Testament in our Bible. And it's a non-gender based thing, alright? So anyway, that is like women pastors. So we might have a view on it, but we could recognize others would have different views on that same topic. Method of baptism, sprinkling, immersion, right? I will, have, I will have a strong argument of why I believe baptism should be through immersion, all right? All the way dipped down in the water and not sprinkled. But I also am not going to think you're not a Christian or I can't be with you or be in ministry with you if you think otherwise, uh, and, and so on. And then, so that's supplemental. Foundational supplemental. Supplemental, I think, again, most dangerous but most worthwhile kind of doing a little check inside ourselves of our motives. Then incidental. Incidental. Discuss, but don't argue. Don't get heated or angry over things like style of worship, over if Adam has a belly button or not, if our pets go to heaven, you know, what I should wear to church, you know, clothing-wise. Even though I wear a coat and Dave's just kind of like sloppy, but, you know, I, uh, <laughs> uh, I know it's kind of the typical thing you're used to it. But um, I meant my coat. I meant my coat. I meant my coat. 
<laughs> no, but uh, foundational, supplemental, incidental. Okay, so that's a grid that we can use to help us to be able to recognize what are those things that we should take that seriously. Because we want to love like Jesus across all cultures, across all generations. And that kind of love is like having a heart of true worship for God, living that out. And when we want to try and love across generations, there's going to be disagreement. When we try to love across cultures, there's going to be disagreement. So if we want to live out this vision and we have a calling to do that, we better be able to have unity even when we don't have uniformity. And so I hope that you're with me, like you're with me in that gospel mission of our lives, that our lives are about seeing Jesus made known and lives transformed for him. So I encourage you now as we're going to go and head into a time of worship and we're going to receive our offering. You also have a chance to turn in the card if you haven't done that yet with prayer requests or just to let us know more about who you are and things you're interested in. But I really just, I want to stress some of these next steps that are on the back page of your notes. Go into that Discover Your Purpose class. You could write that on the card and turn it in. We'll remind you, you know. If that's sharing your faith and beginning to, if the gospel is what's of most, is what's most important, that you will pray for someone for you to share your faith with. You know, and and just, let's just keep living that out, caring for the poor, looking for opportunities that we can remember the poor. So let's pray, and I pray that all of us, from whatever point of view we come, we would come together in unity to see Jesus made famous. Let's pray. (sighs) Heavenly Father, we, we come before you with just grateful hearts for the unity that has been displayed by the people that lived this out in that first century church, God. And I pray, Lord, that we would be able to to live out in the same way, that we would have passionate discussion about the things that matter most, that we would come together and really being about making your name known, Lord Jesus. May Calvary Church be a church where people come and they find you, And they find salvation in you. And they find a family that they can be part of, Lord. Lord, we love you. And Lord, as we give, as we give to you now, Lord, I pray that you would continue to to shape our hearts to be hearts that, that surrender to you all things. As we surrender even this money to you in worship now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.